is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives online. I'm Sarah Tasker and this is episode 85. Hello, my friends. How are you doing? I am, I'm great, actually. I'm really great. You might have seen, I posted on Instagram this week that Jen Carrington, you all know who I mean when I say Jen by now. She said that I'm like Sarah 2.0 and it's true. I actually think I might be being a little bit annoying to all the people who are having a sensible slow January or maybe even a bit of the January blues. I'm here with my like razzmatazz jazz hands energy and uh, I just apologise if it's a bit irritating but hopefully by the end of today's episode you're going to be feeling full of enthusiasm too because I have some awesome women I'm going to introduce you to. But first up, I have some podcast admin. Uh, Two things to tell you. First, we are doing our first ever podcast-based giveaway. Don't really know why I've not done this before, but Rachel Lucas, who you're going to hear from a little later on, she turned up at my house to record together and she brought a signed copy of her book to give away to everybody. So I thought I would throw in a copy of my book too, for anyone who wants that. And we share at the end the way we came up to run the giveaway. Uh, It's really simple. It's just an Instagram thing. So just listen to the end if you would like to enter to win those two books. And the second thing I need to mention is that the Insta Retreat goes back on sale today. So that is my big tell-all one-stop shop Instagram class. It goes on sale today and it normally sells out pretty fast. So if you're listening to this on the day this goes live, hop on over to my website if you would like to grab a spot. I'm actually so proud of this class, if that doesn't sound too stupid to say. I think we've been refining and reshaping it for about four years now, just trying to constantly make it the best Instagram program on the market. And by that, I mean not just the most up-to-date and strategic, which of course matters, but also the one that takes into account your humanity and your feelings and all the stuff that comes up when we try and show up like this online. So I really think it's the best it's ever been. And I can't wait to get started with whoever joins me for this next run through. If you want to take a look, you will find all the details at meandorla.co.uk. That's M-E-A-N-D-O-R-L-A.co.uk. So if you listened last week, you might remember I am trying to showcase the work at the moment of some of my previous Insta Retreat students who are out doing amazing things in the world. And this week I want to introduce you to Kelsey who is a therapist and she is using Instagram to grow her practice into new and exciting directions. We had a chat via Skype earlier this week. So before you listen to me and Rachel, I just wanted to let you hear from Kelsey. I'm Kelsey Meck. I'm a certified counselor and trauma therapist here in Canada. And I also offer coaching online for women to really dive deeply into figuring out who they were before the world told them who they should be, and then start living a life in alignment with that. I'm also in the process of developing more content online regarding mental health and really trying to make the types of conversations I have with folks in the therapy room more accessible to a wider audience. And right now, a part of that I'm super excited about is I'm creating an eight-week online course that will launch in April, all about understanding anxiety and learning tools to help people cope with the anxiety in their life. I'm also really active on Instagram and share a lot of resources there. And you can find me at Kelsey Mech. So it's K-E-L-S-E-Y-M-E-C-H at Kelsey Mech on Instagram or KelseyMech.com is my website. 
I love your work. I love your Instagram. But I also think that it's so important that this stuff goes online because I don't know if you have a sense of this, but the barriers of kind of making an appointment and going into a therapist's office feels so huge when you're first faced with it. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I'm really committed to is removing some of the stigma around accessing those kinds of services and also just making that type of information more affordable and accessible. I love the one-on-one client work that I do, but you're right. It can be really difficult for a number of reasons for people to access that. And so I'm super committed to creating free content online, online courses that people can access the same types of information they might in therapy and the same type of support, but in a way that's more affordable and doable um, or even just less overwhelming for a lot of people. Yeah, because it's kind of then becomes like a menu of options and you might gradually work your way through them all, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, mental health, I'm so glad to see there's so much focus um, on mental health these days and sort of normalizing the conversations around that. So it's a really exciting time to be a part of that conversation. But the types of responses I've gotten on Instagram and other platforms for people uh, talking about this are just so engaged and so excited about exploring these conversations in depth, which gives me a lot of hope that we are moving in the right direction. Well, yeah, the fact that your account has grown so quickly, do you want to just kind of touch on that? Yeah, I've been so blown away. I think I, so I just started the account, um, January, 2019. So a year ago, and I was like, Oh, maybe a thousand in the first year. And, um, when I started taking your Insta retreat, um, I guess this was several months ago now, but I was at like 600. It was quite small. And since then, over the last few months, I've grown to I'm over 11,000 now, um, which just boggles my mind. I'm so, I'm so grateful for the support I've gotten and the growth, not that numbers are everything, of course, but just the engagement um, of my community as well. And it just shows, I think, where we're at with this conversation, that there are 11,000 people ready to take on that conversation. And maybe they weren't there a few years ago, I wonder. Yeah, it's it's really encouraging, for sure. What are some of the key things you took from the Insta Retreat that have helped you? Yeah, um, a lot of things, Sarah. Um, I think one of the most important pieces for me was really stepping into embracing my own authenticity. It's a line that I struggle to walk a little bit as a therapist because in school we're told we don't share anything with clients. Yeah. We're really private about our personal lives. And suddenly here I was in this online realm where I wanted to share things. And so learning and finding my own way of being authentic in a way that sort of feels safe and really positive for me professionally, but also allows me to bring forward my own voice was something that the course really helped me to do. And I also think the Insta Retreat does such a beautiful job of really emphasizing the balance we need to find between growth and engagement. And I've really seen that. There are certain posts that I do on my account that are absolutely growth posts, right? They get shared a lot. There's super tangible content. And then there's posts that I do that, that don't get as many any likes don't get as much in terms of the numbers that we're all craving, but people really engage with them. And I know those are more nourishing for my smaller and for my sort of more uh, close knit community. And so that was so helpful to learn about finding that balance and how important both of those things are. Because it's so easy to only focus on the growth. Absolutely. I was totally caught in that trap of just numbers, numbers, numbers. And I mean, yes, does it feel good to hit 10,000 and go, Oh, I get the swipe up. Like, absolutely. (laughs) But it's also really helped me reframe that it's not only about that, which is also just helped with my sanity around Instagram, to be honest. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the other thing 
I found so helpful was the the live Q and A's that you do, and actually being able to get some feedback from you, Sarah, because I think the whole. So one of the things on my account for those people who don't follow me um, is I do these sort of open face journal pages with handwritten notes about mental health information, encouraging words, things like that, and those are the posts that have really, um, really exploded and been shared so widely. Um, and it was so funny because I remember I was grappling with, well, I have all this information as a, as a therapist that I want to share, but I don't want to just do, um, graphics or compute, like computer generated images, um, which are beautiful and wonderful. And a lot of people are doing that, but I wanted to kind of find my own niche. And Sarah, on one of the lives, you were like, well, you could just do handwritten notes. And it just blew my mind. Oh my gosh, of course. And so I tried like several different styles until I found what really landed with my audience and really worked well and resonated with me. So thank you for that. Because honestly, that one little tidbit uh, has taken me so far. That's amazing. I'm going to take all the credit, all of it. And yeah, the lives are so valuable as well, because we're all there together. Because it could just as easily, I guess, have been someone else that said, oh, have you thought about doing handwritten notes? Like it's just getting that kind of crowdsourced opinions from people who get it. Yeah. And it is such a wonderful community to be a part of. Like, even though, you know, I did the course a while ago, I still have access to that community. And it's just so nice to know it's there. Like there's these people who are struggling with the same questions, right. And have the same concerns and and going through that in a really collaborative community where there's so much support from other people. And you're so involved in that community as well. Um, was just really nourishing for my soul at the time when I was really struggling with like trying to find my own and trying to find my footing in what can be a really overwhelming online space. Yes, completely. And this has come up in quite a few of the conversations. And and a lot of the time we don't have someone in our lives who's giving us that permission or that encouragement to do this thing that feels scary and alien to us. I mean, I'm sure you see this so much in your work. So having a space where you can go and you know that no one's going to go, who do you think you are? Like, it's so powerful. So powerful. And it has been one of the most important pieces for me in building my own business and making that feel good and actually work with my own mental health has been finding those places where I can find like-minded people. I find that sense of community and support because a lot of people in my life, I love them to bits, but they don't fully understand exactly what it is I do day to day because so much of it is that kind of behind the scenes of content creation and whatnot. And you just see the end product and don't realize what thought and work and effort and a million other things goes into it. And so having just people to connect with that really get that whole process has been invaluable as well. Have you struggled with those boundaries? You mentioned about figuring out how much of yourself to share. Have you got any pointers for how to do that? I think for me, the biggest thing is I don't share anything that I still need support with. So if there's an issue that I have in my life, a conflict, a concern, something I'm struggling with, I won't post about it online until I know that I can hear any feedback from the outside world and it won't negatively impact how I feel about myself or that concern. So good. Um, Yeah. And that's really helped me because there is this tendency to share things when we're still in the stage of processing them and maybe hope for some positive feedback or some guidance or encouragement. Um, And for me, that's just a slippery slope to potentially hearing something that would actually be harmful or sharing something that's simply too vulnerable and asking other people to hold space for me when it's really not their job to do so, especially in my field. So that's been a really, a really great boundary for me. Okay. Can I, can I hear anything in response to this and be okay? And then kind of knowing, all right, I can, I can share this. I've done my work. 
such a great tip. I think that's that's the secret for all of us. If there's anyone listening who is considering taking the plunge in an online program, something like the Insta Retreat, but is not sure about investing in themselves, what would you say? I was completely in that same position when I made the decision to do it. Um, it, it seemed like a lot of money to invest in what was a very new business and sort of creative adventure for me. Um, and it was so worth it. I, of all of the things I've done, I continuously point back to that as being one of the stepping stones for sure for me. And not only learning the skills on Instagram, but just finding a greater sense of community and confidence and knowing that all of that was out there and available to me. Um, so I think as small business owners, creatives, like we need to invest in ourselves, um, and that, that can be a really difficult step to take for so many reasons, but recognizing that you're worth it and your business is worth it and you can trust yourself to be intentional and careful about what choices you make, selecting the right things and not to just rush in and buy everything because you also have many of the answers within you already, um, but that really you are worth investing in. Yeah, you've touched on absolutely every element of that that tricky decision there. And one of the things that's really come through from doing these kind of conversations is the sort of magic alchemy that happens when we do commit to investing in ourselves. Like mm-hmm. you drop that money, you commit to the time and something changes in your brain where you start pushing yourself and making space for possibilities that just didn't exist before. Absolutely. And there's something too about investing in something financially that adds such a greater level of motivation to that choice, right? So if I'm, I mean, there's a million resources out there that are available for free that are great and I'm so appreciative of, but I know I'm not as invested in applying those and sticking to those like free seven day sort of email chains and things like that as I am when I really dive into a course and I'm committed to it and I put money down. To me, that's me kind of speaking with my dollars about what's important to me and what's important to my business. Yes. And actually I can see it myself whenever someone's like won a free spot or maybe like I've given them a free spot as part of a coaching package. Those are the people that that seldom even log in and definitely don't finish the class. And Mm -hmm. I get it because it's something, a piece of that puzzle is missing that that is that kind of commitment. The fact that I spent a fortune on my Pilates room downstairs is sometimes the only motivation I have to get up and go down there, but the results are still great. Absolutely. And now being on the other side of course creation and starting to build online courses of my own, there's so much work that goes into it and so much love and that shines through with the Insta retreat. Absolutely. Um, and so I think just really recognizing the value in it as well is important. Kelsey, thank you so much. I'll put a link to Kelsey's Instagram and her website in the show notes for anyone who is like me and liable to completely forget her name, anyone's name within about 10 seconds of hearing it. And listen, I do know, I feel like these testimonials are kind of a bit self-promo-y, but hopefully you are getting just as much magic out of hearing these stories as I am. I just think sometimes it does us all good to hear from people who are exactly where we are, striving and achieving and winning and remind ourselves of everything that's possible. And so I am so grateful to all of you for listening and for championing these people. And I'm super grateful to all the amazing people I've been speaking to who have volunteered their time and you will be hearing from in episodes to come. So, okay, let's go on to another wonderful woman. Rachel Lucas is the author of nine books, the latest of which is currently sitting at the top of the fiction chart. And you will also find it on the shelves of your local supermarket. 
which to me is like a sign of success. In fact, I'd say she is tremendously successful, but she has definitely also had her fair share of hardship and difficulty. And so it was really lovely to talk to her right here at my kitchen table this week and hear about how she's woven both of those things together to make a beautiful web out of her life. Hello, Rachel. Hello. So this is fun for me to actually um, be recording face to face. I know. I don't often do it, mainly because I don't leave the house, but you've come to my house. I know. I've, I've literally, I've tracked you down. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been, well, we've been talking kind of nonstop for several hours now. Yeah, so we've run out of things to say. You better not have done. I hope you've saved the good stuff. I have saved all the good stuff, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, let's start by introducing yourself. Everyone's favourite thing to do about themselves. Introduce. Uh, well, my name is Rachel Lucas. I'm an author. I live in a very untidy Victorian house by the seaside with my husband and we have five teenagers and um, three dogs. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I actually couldn't remember how many dogs I had there. Several dogs. Several dogs. Yes. And you have a book out right now. Let's get that into the side. Absolutely. Yes. It's called The Telephone Box Library and it's a book set in a little village just on the edge of the Cotswolds. And it's about Lucy, who's a history teacher, who um, is a bit burnt out. So she decides to take a sabbatical and she's interested in doing some research into Bletchley Park. So she goes there and meets a woman called Bunty, who was involved in Bletchley, work with Bletchley during the war. But she doesn't want to talk about what she did because she believes that, you know, we shouldn't talk about such things. And even at 90, she's still keeping a lot of secrets. So juicy mm. so I've started it and we were laughing before because I've done what I always do I've started it and not finished it yet <laughs> I do the same but um I'm excited I'm really enjoying it. it's on my kindle I'm interested what genre would you class your work do you know it's actually called women's fiction which is ironic because quite a lot of men read it and also because what is women's fiction right I find that really fascinating such a weird thing also you don't go into the bookshop and go mm, I'm going to go look at the men's fiction <laughs> It's like, what would men's fiction be? So, um, because the thing is, this has actually got a, it's got a whole historical thread to it. So there's a, a, you know, a whole part of the book, which is actually set back in 1943. Um, And so it's sort of, there's some history in this. Um, I don't know. I think I, I always try and describe them as the sort of book that you would want to read in the bath or, you know, curl up in a chair and, and have a, you know, a cup of tea on a rainy day. A, a sort of comfort reading. That's actually yeah, what I would define them reading. as. Comfort reading. That's, That's nice. And oh my God, is there a market for comfort stuff? I have this problem with TV and film because yeah. there is not much comfort it stuff. It is unremittingly grim. Yes. And, you know, actually, I don't want to watch or read about somebody's child being abducted or murdered or something you know it's actually yeah. you know there's enough awful stuff going on at the moment and and in fact you know has you know I've had lots of awful things happen in my past yeah. so actually you know it's quite nice to write about nice things so a bit of escapism yeah there was a really interesting tweet actually that was doing the rounds not long ago about how women are like saving the publishing industry because women are the people who are buying the most books mm. and writing the most books possibly um and and people kind of frown on women's fiction or it's seen as like yes as yeah. trivial or not not serious literature yeah um but actually like that is what is keeping the publishing industry afloat exactly and I think the thing is that you know we write these books and I think that quite often they're they're written off because they've got a cover which 
you know, is flowery or it's pink. Attract, like it's because or, you know, it's attractive. Well, exactly. And <laughs> and I think you? that people think, well, there must be nothing in this that's worth reading. But actually, you know, you, you open them up and you discover that they're about, you know, um, some of them are about alcoholism. Some of them are about, I've written about a woman who, you know, had a huge trauma in her past in one of my previous books and about how she sort of overcame that. And I've done one about family trauma and... um domestic abuse I've done in the past as well but the thing is you wouldn't necessarily know that from looking at the covers but the the thing that they all have in common is that there's something in them which I think the readers relate to and think oh you know you can sort of put yourself in the yeah the shoes of the character well and it sounds like that makes it accessible as well and accessible to people who are maybe not already being pitched that kind of content yes yeah exactly I have this thing like sometimes people will say if I remember contribute to a feature in something like the Daily Mail there's always people who say like this is a newspaper of hate which I completely agree Mm. with and that we shouldn't be endorsing it but I grew up in a Daily Mail reading household and You magazine which is like the Sunday yes that was my window yes out my once a week little peep out the window into a different world and not all of it, because it's still the bloody Daily Mail, but mm-hmm. there was stuff in there. There was like interiors or pe- women making lives for themselves yeah. or book reviews or poetry. And I needed that. Like, I think life-like. that's really true. And it was the same for me, actually. I remember when I was little, it was the, the Mail on Sunday, You magazine and the Sunday Times magazine. And, you know, it was it was seeing little little tiny glimmers, little, little bits of other people's lives. And I think that, we probably underestimate how much that's needed. And I think particularly if you're on Twitter and you have your own little bubble of, you know, people who think the way that you think and you think everybody's got what you've got, actually, you know, there's an awful lot of people out who don't. Yes. So it's nice to be able to kind of reach other people and talk about, you know. And there's, there's you know, there's lots of universal things. So Lucy in this book is a history teacher who's, absolutely exhausted and burnt out because and you know there's a lot of people who've actually contacted me since the book came out and said somebody actually said are you a teacher (laughs) (laughs) you seem to know you you seem to know an awful lot about this and I said no but I have friends who are teachers so I know what they're going through and you know I talk about the fact that they actually turn the telephone box into a library and but I talk about the fact that the closing of the libraries has meant that we've lost a community centre you know and and for villages and we we actually lost one in the part of our town and um, we now have one big central library but losing that little library meant you know we lost that community hub and I think that it's important so there you know there are issues in these books that touch on the things that we are all experiencing um but they're not walloping you over the head no and I think actually that's really important because you know you don't actually need to be walloped over the head with issues in capital letters every time that you pick up a book you know. It's not good for anyone's sanity. No, exactly. Yeah. And also, you're less likely to read it. That's well, exactly, because the thing is, then it's going to be quite put-downable. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's not what you're looking for in a book. I really like the fact that I get people saying, oh, God, I started reading it and I couldn't stop. Recently had a review where she said, I read it until 2 o'clock in the morning, fell asleep, woke up at 6 and carried on reading. Oh, yes. I thought, oh, do you know what? In part of me thought, oh, that took me a year. (laughs) (laughs) The other half of me was like, oh my God, that's amazing. That's what you want, you know. the best. And actually, on the few occasions, because, well, we relate on this point, an ADHD brain, um, I either struggle to start a book Uh or I cannot put it down. Yes. And yeah, everything's burnt. 
dinner's forgotten. <laughs> Children are ignored. You forget to go to the toilet. Yes, exactly. Reading that book. And yeah. on the occasions when I've like read a book in a day, I always feel like you have a whole extra appreciation for the story. Yeah, because I think that's you're really true. So in completely it. wrapped up in it. I yeah. like the fact that we've both just done the same hand movements. The immersive gesture. Yeah. <laughs> so. Amongst the many things we've just been talking about before we sat down to do this, you were talking about, obviously you use the internet, social media, to yes, market your work, and I you've do. been doing it for some time. But you were saying you're still surprised by what works and by what doesn't work. Yes. And the unpredictability of all of well, that. Well, it's such a funny thing because um, uh, it never ceases to amaze me that, that my Instagram stories are popular and yet they're me rambling with mad unbrushed hair um uh you know with dogs jumping all over me um or twitter you know i recently had a tweet go viral which i didn't expect which was a tweet basically saying 10 years ago i left an abusive marriage and took my children and and got out um he actually smashed up my computer and said now write your effing book um and uh you know, here we are 10 years later, I've written eight books, just <laughs> finished my ninth. And actually, you know what? Who's the winner? And yes. so the thing is, my tweet basically said that. And it was a really throwaway tweet. And I woke up the next morning and thought, oh, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on a minute. I've been on Twitter for, Twitter for 10 years. And, you know, I couldn't have predicted that. And the last time I looked, it had been seen by 750,000 people. So that is immense. Yeah. But what was really nice was that Again, a bit like the books, what people seemed to get from it was a sense of, you know, there were there were there were women who said that I really needed to read this tweet. It's really given me courage. And there were people who said, you know, thank you for sharing this. You won't actually ever know how much this has meant yeah. to me. And what I tell you what was really weird in this world of Twitter, no negative comments. Not one. That doesn't surprise me. I think it, everyone's biggest fear of Twitter isn't yeah. it? is like the argument. Yeah. But actually, the majority of people are still good humans. Really? Yes, exactly. And what just... kind of monster would you have to be to read that tweet and go, Well, actually, Bitch. you deserved it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but I think the thing is, it was just a little reminder that actually people are really lovely. Yeah. And... And it was such a funny thing because I couldn't have predicted that. I didn't... I, it was a throwaway comment that... You know, sometimes sometimes I do, I think I'm a bit of an oversharer and sometimes on Twitter I just like, you know, open my mouth and say stuff and then the next day think, oh, <laughs> you know, but that was one of the ones where I went to bed, not even thinking about it, woke up the next morning and went, oh, oh dear, <laughs> this is being retweeted by people in America, you know, so... Um. Yeah, so that was a bit of a surprise. I, I love that, though, about social media. Like, it's scary, but I love it. Yeah, that... I do too. That weird adrenaline rush of yeah. posting something and not quite knowing what you're doing. And then there's that connection that you've made as a result of it that's like, you now know that that's an idea with legs. Yeah. And whether that turns into, like, just this conversation, which means we've yeah. taken it further and we've been able to talk to more people about it, or it turns into, like, a story for one of your books. Exactly. Or... Like you have got that immediate human feedback of you're not alone in this, which is so powerful. And also we care about your story. Exactly. And I think the thing is, funnily enough, coming back to the very beginning when I first started writing, um, it started because I was writing a blog about running the marathon in memory of my dad. And so I started writing this blog talking about training to run the marathon and how I was not a runner. Um, and I would talk about my memories of my dad and why I was 
doing this completely insane thing. <laughs> and um, and it was so funny because I wrote one one day and then the next day I woke up and there were loads of comments saying, oh, this has made me cry. Oh. And that's the first time I thought, oh, you know, I've always wanted to be a writer. Maybe I could be a writer. So that was the thing that gave me the courage to do it was, and that that one post. And I think that's the the thing about, the internet and writing on the internet which is quite interesting is it's usually the ones that make you think should I have done that they're they're the ones that get the reaction I always say like if you feel slightly sick hit send or hitting publish you know you've got something exactly exactly um takes a while to get comfortable with yeah it is and I but it's actually quite a good lesson I think for writing in general because you know we were talking earlier about that feeling the vulnerability hangover when you actually you publish a book because right up to the point of publication day, it's yours. And then it goes out into the world and other people take it. And, and you've you know, got no more power over no it. Your control. work is done. And it's 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 sort of lovely and terrifying. Because, you know, <laughs> you can't stop people from hating it, you know. No. Um, and telling everyone else they hate yes, it. Yes, exactly. Which is just like, oh, my God, what if, you know, what if it goes, you know, some, I've done something wrong and it goes viral on Twitter, yeah. or, you know, because everybody's saying, oh, did you see what she wrote on page 64? Oh, God. You know? It is it is that fit. and you're right that actually sending a tweet is kind of the same thing. Mm, sort of it, it really a is vulnerable blog post. And also if you're saying things that are easy to say, you're probably not tapping into the exactly. most important stuff you've got exactly. to say. Exactly. And I think that's actually a really good lesson for writing in general. Um I'm when I think about my next book actually, I think it gives me butterflies and I feel a bit sick. So I know it's probably the right idea. It's going to be a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sort of reminds me of, I've been having a lot of conversations lately with Insta Retreat students and like mm-hmm. previous ones, people will be hearing them in the podcasts. And one of the really key messages that keeps coming up is like that sense of permission. Yes. And being around other people who see whatever it is that you see for yourself and aren't laughing at you or making yeah. you feel small for wanting yeah. it. Yeah, I think that's huge. And I think that's actually a massive thing on Instagram is, you know, to 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 sort of find yourself thinking, I'm going to post what I want to post, even if my aunt yeah. Margaret is going to look at that and say, oh, who does she think she is? Do you, you know, know, I think that's probably the biggest thing that holds people back. It is. I think so, The yeah. fear of, and it, I was saying this to someone else, it's not even the people you really love. It's no. not like what your best friend's going to think or what your husband's no. going to think. It's what thingy at the school date yes thing it completely is the people at the school gate isn't so it? and so you know, like went to school with yeah yeah who does she think she is and it's almost always who does she think yes, she is that's what you're always. worried about you know oh she's getting above herself yes i don't know if that's a british thing or if it's more... oh it's definitely i mean in ireland they'd say she's getting notions notions so, yeah, notions. Yeah. she's got notions, notions above her station yeah and it's I mean, the thing is it's such a funny thing because i went to university in northern ireland so i sort of became aware of notions <laughs> you know, quite early on you have so. quite a few notions I, of I, I didn't have any notions at that point but i think i've probably got notions now Good so. you. but i think we should have actually we should well how have we got to this place where we shame one another for doing it exactly for exactly dreaming? and you know? i do think like you see america and it's much more it seems much more from the outside like the american dream i think it really is and actually. you have a dream and you're kind of encouraged to go and you're for celebrated it. yeah and i think that actually funnily enough when i first started blogging and it's such a funny thing because i was writing this really decided i was going to write a really beautiful lifestyle blog at a time so this is 10 years ago when blogs are still quite new mm. um and finished writing my marathon writing one and decided, a mar- marathon running one, sorry, and decided I was going to do this lovely lifestyle blog. My life, meanwhile, was falling apart behind the scenes. <laughs> but sometimes the, the appeal of like, 
creating a tiny window of perfection. So lovely. Yeah. And in fact, in one of my other books, there's a lifestyle blogger who's having a, like this terrible marriage. Which um, which book? It's uh, gosh, which book? I think it's Coming Up Roses. It's, it's Daisy. I love that. So many books. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Mm, which one? Well, read um, them all and find out. Yeah. Yes. No. It's Coming Up Roses. So yeah, the the when I started blogging, one of the things I thought was really interesting about it was that oh, who does she think she is? Who's who's interested in reading people in the village? What writing about her life in the village? Like who does she think she is? And I just thought actually I am going to channel my inner American because I looked at the American blogs and back then, you know, it was when people like like the pioneer woman were yeah. just getting started, and I thought you know what? No, I am going to do my baking and I'm going to look at Martha Stewart and I'm going to just. Pretend that I'm American. And and I think that's really important. So then when I became a writer, I realised that, that an awful lot of writing is about basically, you know, you, you go away, you create this thing, then it goes out into the world. You then have to stand on the table, basically naked, shouting, look at me. <laughs> you know, I've made this thing, which of course... Buy it. Yeah, like buy, it. buy this thing. I've made this thing. Um, and at the time, you know, I think to start with, it feels really like... Here is you feel really, really vulnerable yes. and it feels like a really difficult thing to do. Um, and I think then what also happens is then part of publicity is that you have to do things like, you know, go to book festivals yeah. and talk. And I was really shy and I used to find that really, really difficult. And eventually I realised that actually, oh, they've come to see me. They do actually want to see me talking. So, you know, I need to kind of get over myself. Yeah, but they're I not doing you a favour. No! <laughs> And such a funny thing, isn't it? Because for such a long time, I felt like, you know, they were there kind of, you know, looking at the watchers going, God, how much longer is she going to go on for? You know, and then they were only getting coming to get the books signed afterwards because they felt sorry for me. Um, But then the other thing that's happened as time has gone on and I've, you know, I've been writing all these books is I think I've really realised that it's not a case of standing naked on the table shouting, you know, look at this thing I've done, because actually the reality is, there's me, there's the editor, there's my agent, there's the cover yeah. designer, there's the copy editor, there's the actual publishing company. And I feel now, you know, it's look what we have done. I and it's like quite that. a nice collaborative feeling to feel like it's not, it's, it's look what we have done. We are really proud of this. Also, if this goes tits up, it's not just me. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, whoops, we fucked up. Genius. You know? It's so funny. So one of the things I did really early on and still do, if I have to write an email that needs bags of confidence, like a pitch. But so when I used to pitch to brands regularly, yeah, I would write it with an American accent in my head. Oh, do you know what? I remember you saying that and it's <laughs> such a good idea. It's, it works every time. My inner American, yeah. she is she is way sassier. Yeah. Than my inner American is so confident. You know, she's just like. Hi, guys. The Americans listening are probably like, excuse yeah. me, we, <laughs> exactly. we are not like that. They're probably going, well, actually, we channel our in a British person. <laughs> and it's so funny, actually, because when I've been to um, New York for book stuff, which I still, to be honest, I say that, and there are little voices I've made that's like, you went to New York for book stuff. <laughs> um, but when I've been to America, I was like, I always forget to take my inner American. But then actually I say that, and then I realise that I think she's become so much part of me mm. that I... I went in for um, in December for another book that I'd written as Rosie Curtis because I write under pseudonym as well, and so I had written this book and I went in for publication day and I walked up to the front desk of Barnes and Noble and said, "Hi, I'm Rosie Curtis. Um, this is my book. We met in December. Can I sign them for you?" And she said, "Oh wow, that's so amazing!" And of course, I was telling a friend afterwards, and they said, 
you walked into the shop and just marched up and said and I said yeah well it's my book I've got to do my bit to sell it and she said I don't think you realize how much you have changed as a result of doing this because 10 years ago there is no way you would have had the confidence to do that so it's really weird that writing has had that effect I think it's well courage and creativity yes we could go into this for hours yeah but it takes so much courage to put our work, to make our work a reality, first of all, when it's just a theory, an yeah. idea in our head. You have to really believe in yourself and what you're making to commit to actually putting in the effort to make I it think exist. So. I think that's it. And then you have to have even more courage to put it out into the world. Yeah. And that's like a muscle. And the more you stretch that muscle and work it out, like this is the only kind of workout I do. Yeah. Courage <laughs> workout. That's enough. Yeah, my courage muscles are quite well worked out, actually. And um. And in fact, I have taught a course before called Create Courage, which was about that and mindfulness and, you know, things like that. Um, I say things like that. I mean, I qualified as a meditation and mindfulness teacher for the specific reason that I was interested (laughs) in what happens behind why we don't do things. Um, And, you know, I'm interested in stuff like, you know, the work of Brene Brown and um, Tara Moore. And, you know, these people really interest me because I think that that creativity and what stops us doing stuff Well, and it's then I, fascinating. you share my fascination with procrastination. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And in fact, I've been loving your procrastination course. Um, I'm now an expert at procrastination. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I, I have actually, I have to say, I've been, I was telling somebody the other day that it's it's like very strange magic because 15 minutes a day, I mean, you call it 15 minute 15 magic. magic yeah. And, you know, you think, I thought at the time, hmm, I've got to do this because something's got to change because I am I'm such a procrastinator that I once wrote a book to avoid writing a book (laughs) (laughs) literally wrote a book got a book deal um signed the book deal and it was a two book deal so I had to write a second book as well just to avoid writing a book which I then went on to write and I really much very much enjoyed writing but um yeah my procrastination levels are I also did the meditation course partly as procrastination, oh. trained as a Reiki teacher as procrastination. <laughs> so I've become sort of really multi-talented. But but what I've discovered is that um, I can get more done in this 15 minutes than I could previously get done in a whole day because I would spend the whole day avoiding checking my emails or replying to my emails or sorting out something on my website. You know, mm-hmm. and all just, of these, you know, for me, it can be, I literally am sat on the sofa going, I need to get up, get up. Yes. Why are you not getting up? Yeah. And that can take a whole day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Easily. You know, and the thing is, and what's really funny about it is you're not enjoying, it's not like I'm sitting on the sofa having a really nice no. time. You're actually sitting on the sofa in a state of really uncomfortable stuckness, feeling really bad. And I think that's one of the things that's been really interesting is looking at why procrastination makes you feel the way it does and why we procrastinate and I mean we're only midway through the court we're not yeah, even not midway even, no. and 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 it's completely changed the way that I've approached work and in fact I've been quite sort of evangelical about you know <laughs> you need to try this it's so amazing but it's just it's funny because people assume because you know I mean, last year I wrote two books people think oh you must yeah. be really productive I'm actually really unproductive and I procrastinate a lot. or in fact I think I'm probably now a recovering procrastinator, actually. So, you know, so that's, I think that's quite a good start to the year. Oh, yeah, 2020. Look out. Absolutely. Um, I think that's so interesting because, yeah, you have this beautifully bound 
proof that you can achieve. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's comfortable or easy. No. And nobody teaches us this stuff about how to get out of our own way and start getting stuff done. Exactly. It's such an interesting thing. I really think that, I mean, you know, having five teenagers, all of whom have very different personalities, one of the things that I have sort of noticed with them is, you know, the ones that are prone to procrastination, I've said, look, this is what I've learned. If you just do a bit of this, you will feel better. And then they will go off and do, you know, 15 minutes of tidying the room and say, oh, actually, do you know what? I actually, I just went on and got the rest of my room done. And it's like, yes, exactly. And it wasn't awful. And now you feel really good. And then what's weird is tomorrow, because you know you feel good from tidying your room, you're going to do something else. So it's like magic. And I think that's the weird thing is, you know, I think I'm actually going to be doing less and achieving more because I won't be spending six hours of the day thinking about all the things that I should be doing but not doing them and then sitting in a really uncomfortable place going, oh, you know, I should be doing this, but I'm not. Obviously, you had that awful experience with your ex. Yes, um, it was an abusive relationship. It was um, emotionally abusive um, and ultimately physically abusive. So it was, you know, it was pretty horrible. And that was the point when I realised that, you know, I had to get out for the sake of the children um, and myself, obviously, as well. But yes, I think that's really, really true, is that sense of you kind of want everything to be nice. Yes. You know, like us like, looking for our comfort yes, TV. Yes, exactly. Let's try and let's make everything nice and comfortable and lovely. And, and you know, don't want to have any uncomfortable feelings because, you know, I've had enough of them. So I'm just going to sit here and... And not do anything that might be difficult. Yes. But the weird thing is, of course, it's really difficult, unless you're a procrastinator, to understand how uncomfortable. It's not just physically, it's mentally. It's a real genuine feeling of discomfort and just awful. I'm sort of scrunching myself up, but it is. It's a horrible feeling. My least favourite place to be. You know. Um, I think we think that embracing the discomfort. So like the discomfort of putting a blog post up that might Mm. feel vulnerable, for example, because we've talked about that already. We think that going into that place of discomfort is going to take us back to our past trauma. It's going to bring us back to the past. But actually what it does is it moves you further away from it. Yes, exactly. Because like your tweet, like you have achieved all these amazing things and it's the growth that you have gained along the way has has means that that old version of you is so far behind. And in fact, writing that tweet is such a funny thing because then somebody replied to me and said, thank you so much for writing that. I've been in a similar situation. I know how much courage it would have taken to write that. And I said, yeah, it still feels scary. And, you know, but I've done it and I I know it helps. And I think it's really funny because even five years ago, um, you know, for a really long time, I felt like it was my fault. You know, and I think that's really common is to think, well, I obviously did something wrong. Yeah. Um, so like shame. Yes. Well, exactly. And that's why I think that I've been so interested in all of this work around vulnerability and, you know, shame and why we feel like this. And, you know, um, yeah, I think that's it. And I think that, that part of learning to get out of this sort of procrastination cycle is realising that it's OK to feel uncomfortable. It's OK to... To, to push yourself it's okay to do something different and I think that's why this year feels to me like a year where lots of exciting things are going to happen so. oh god because everything you want is on the other side of that discomfort exactly exactly Brooke Castillo uh, she says discomfort is the currency for your dreams oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that was an excited noise <laughs> yeah 
So I mentioned we have the um, ADHD tendencies mm. in common. Yes. We probably have more than that in common, actually, I suspect, I think so. because there's a lot of comorbidity. I think we're, we're like a sort of bouquet of, <laughs> a bouquet <laughs> of acronyms. <laughs> yeah. And I know, obviously, you wrote The State of Grace, which was... Was it sort of loosely based on your experiences with your daughter? Sort of. Um, I mean, Verity was diagnosed with autism when she was 13, although I had known since, you know, I had very strong suspicions that she was probably about two, um, which was quite odd because I just kept thinking, oh, she's really like me. Didn't put two and two together. And so it was, it took a really long time. Actually, one of the interesting things is, and I say this because I know that other people have been in this situation my ex did not want her to have a diagnosis. Uh-huh. So that was one of the main reasons why it took me such a long time to get a diagnosis. Um, and then eventually when she got the diagnosis at the age of 13, um, as we went through the process with all of the different health professionals, they would say, oh, and and do you do this? And I would be nodding along going, <laughs> mm, yeah, yes, I do that. Or yes, well, it's been easy for me because I've described to Verity in detail what we're going to be doing the next day because it's you know it really helps her because I find it helps me to know because I like to so you know a lot of the red flags you were like this I was is like, just yeah. normal and and uh, eventually one of them said um I shouldn't say this really but have you considered getting a diagnosis <laughs> and I went oh no no I'm not autistic no you know because you know I was like I don't like change <laughs> so <I> was, <laughs> nobody does do not like. do not pretend present me with unpredictable things so of course then I went off and and uh talked about it with my partner now husband and uh, I said do you know the strangest thing happened today um this this practitioner suggested that perhaps I might be autistic and he went <laughs> you don't say <laughs> I was like what and he said well the two of you are cut from the same cloth hadn't you noticed and I said no anyway so of course I went off and got the diagnosis talked to my mum looked at family history got this diagnosis, decided that, you know, there were no books out there for girls of her age that were about, that. well, there were no books about autistic girls that, that I could find, mm-hmm. but also there were none in which it was, it was just something that was there, you know, it, it wasn't the issue of the story. Yes. So that's why I wanted to write it. I just wanted to write a, a YA novel where she happened to be autistic, so... I really, really love that. I think that's, for me, that's the most powerful representation when yeah. you find... It's not why their story is being told. It's just part of the story. Exactly. And I think that's why it, you know, it sold well in the UK and then it went to the USA and it has actually um, ended up on this honour roll for books for children with disabilities because they say it's got, you know, it's because it's good representation yeah. for children and adults also to, to read and say. And it's helped parents to see their children, I think, which is amazing. So. And you are perfectly placed as someone who... yes. <laughs> Yes, first-hand experience yes. of many of these. Yes, exactly. Um, it's so fascinating to me as well, because obviously in my previous life in speech therapy, huge part of my job was like being part of the team that would diagnose yes. autism in young yeah. people. And our caseload was like 99% boys. Yes, of course. And I was always like, where are the girls? Mm. Where are the girls? Because, you know, we, we know. We know they're out there. They're out there, but... Yeah. It's a different presentation, very much like ADHD. Yeah. It's not the classic presentation that people think of. And so, I mean, likewise, I had so many students that I worked with. I had people in my caseload who had ADHD. Mm. When someone first suggested to me that I might have ADHD, yes. I was like, don't be ridiculous. My husband, he was a special school deputy head teacher. He was yeah. like, Sarah, you do not have ADHD. Yeah. 
because we only know this one presentation. So yes. I, I think that representation, I imagine there's quite a few people who've read that book maybe without knowing. Yes. Gone, oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think that's it. And I think actually, funnily enough, that caught me as well because what happened was then my my husband, sorry, my son, my younger son was then diagnosed with ADHD, which I had kind of suspected for quite a long time. Um, and as a knock-on result of that, my husband was diagnosed <laughs> with ADHD. Because he was like, oh, these things are really familiar. This is why I was offered a place at Cambridge, but I find it really difficult yes. concentrating on, you know, reading a book or being in the right place at the right time. And, you know, and and then it was so it was like this weird domino effect because then I started reading about female ADHD and why was it that my daughter was still struggling with so many elements of school? And so then she got an ADHD diagnosis. And that point, I think, was right about the same time that you were looking into it, that I was thinking, hang on a minute. And, you know, and I spoke to um, one, another one of the practitioners who was like, well, yes, you, you have everything to suggest. And you know, everything suggests <laughs> that you have ADHD. And it was like, oh, because the thing is, I always thought, oh, no, but, you know, I've written a book. I can't have ADHD yeah. because, you know, I don't have trouble concentrating. If I need to concentrate, I really concentrate. But, of course, hyperfocus is a massive giveaway. Well, the ridiculousness that it's become known as this, like, have trouble keeping still disorder. Yeah. And it's actually so much more about you can focus, you just can't choose where no. your focus is going to be. Exactly. And, like... Oh, I was having a conversation with someone on Twitter this week because there was a tweet going around about if you're late, it means that you don't value other people's time, yeah. you're rude. Yeah. And I was like, or it might yeah. mean that you have executive function problems or yes. ADHD. And the the you know the other person, she was really open to it, and we had a, com- a an unusual internet conversation where it yes. was just a discussion, balanced discussion. <laughs> um, and she was like, well, this person always laughs about how she's late, so I don't think that's true for her. And I was like. I used to. I did. You have so much shame about the things that yeah. you can't seem to fix about yourself, so it becomes like, I just, I'm just stupid this way. I spent and... a long time saying until I got my because carrying on with my bouquet diagnosis. <laughs> when I got the autism diagnosis, I was also diagnosed with dyspraxia. So of course, yes. what was really funny was I had, I, you know, this whole period of time after the autism diagnosis of going, oh that's why I have sensory overload that's why I find it really difficult when this happens that's why I find it really difficult when I went to university and I didn't know what to do because nobody had told me the rules um to then realize hang on a minute I'm not clumsy I'm not just clumsy I'm not just forgetful I don't you know it's not because I'm stupid that I can't fill in forms online there is an actual reason for this and so it's like you have to kind of go back through and I'm working on a, a memoir actually um, about this, about kind of going back through my life, looking at all these different elements of my life through the the, the lens of realizing, oh, you you didn't fuck up then because you're an idiot. You fucked up because because you're you know, wired differently. completely differently, exactly. Yeah. And I think you know one of the things that's really funny about our house is because we have a very sort of neurodiverse house. I think our house is very kind of tolerant of oddness. Yeah. And, and and it's not really until we end up in a situation with other people around that you realise how much, you know, it's not it's not still not that acceptable to turn around halfway through Christmas dinner and say, Do you know what I'm really over people, I'm just gonna go my down for half an hour. <laughs> but it should but it should be because actually it makes perfect sense, you know? And I think what's really happened for me and I, I, I sense it with you, which is one of the reasons you're so fun to spend time with, is 
when you become more tolerant of yourself and mm-hmm. of your own idiosyncrasies, you automatically become so much more tolerant yes. of everyone else. Because if I can love myself, having hated myself so yes. strongly in the past, then everyone else by comparison is super easy to love. Absolutely. No one is as bad as exactly. I was. Exactly, exactly. Yes, I think that's it. And I think that I am very kind of, you know, whatever. You yeah. know, but in a nice Come way. As you just, are. You know, yeah. If you want to have a conversation with me, um, but you're actually under a blanket because you can't <laughs> cope with eye contact, that's absolutely fine. Yes. You know, in fact, that sounds quite nice. <laughs> you know? Exactly. It's kind of my comfort yeah. zone. Yeah. I, I mean, again, this is just one of my, this is one of Sarah's scientific theories. <laughs> um, but I, I really feel like 50 years from now, let's say, they may well be defining all of these things so completely differently. And instead of it being, oh, this is, typical neurotypical mm-hmm. and all of these things are wrong with people yes it's going to be much more like here is the whole spectrum of human consciousness and how we can interpret the world yeah and everyone a bit like Myers-Briggs like you have a type yes I think yeah I think there's a lot of of sense in that because I think the thing is people keep saying oh why is there an explosion in autism diagnosis yeah. it's like it's not we haven't just suddenly appeared from from another planet we've been here all along it's just you've been thinking he's really difficult or she's really quiet or he doesn't like dealing with people or, you know, it's, there are lots of types of people I think who, you know, we've kind of dismissed in the past. And I think that as time goes on, we'll hopefully become more tolerant of and realize that everybody has something to offer, even if, you know, they're not typically straightforward. Yeah. You know, the hilarious thing here is, I try and think of who I know who is fully neurotypical with like perfect mental health as well and perfect like physically typical with no strange things going on with their body. And I have one person, which is my husband. Oh. He's never taken antibiotics. Oh my goodness. I know. He is like, he's like prototype human. Right. Everybody else I know and whether that's... I don't, yeah, I've just, I've been trying, I'm literally (laughs) saying that I'm trying to think of people and I'm just thinking... I don't know if I... Deliberately fill my life with people who are... Well, I do. There is this theory that, that, that autism, uh, that autistic people have they have what they call ADAR. So it's <laughs> like, you know, like ADAR, but you like you can recognise other autistic people or, you know, um, non-neurotypical people, whatever, whatever you want to call it. I think that they've changed what they call it. Neurodiverse. Neurodiverse, there you go. Um, but I don't know. I, I mean, I think most of my friends are... Yeah. Un- they may be classed as neurotypical, like, on paper. Yes, They but, maybe but have that, a diagnosis, yeah. but... And so that's... I guess if there's anyone listening who's like, oh, kind of sounds like me. Yeah. I know... I actually had quite a lot of resistance because I already had a diagnosis of POTS, mm-hmm. which kind of comes with, like, a semi-side diagnosis of possibly EDS, which is, like, hypermobility. Yeah. Um, I was like, I do not want another label. No, that's exactly the same as me, is I just feel like... I don't want to be walking about with like, you know, here are all the things I have. Yeah. And because I, I, automatically you feel like it makes me doubt myself. Like, yeah. hang on, have I become like a hypochondriac yes, who's just exactly. Googling things? And then secondly, like, what are other people going to think? Because if mm-hmm. I'm thinking that, then other people will be too. And that was, I think for me, like a, a big thing was like, I was like, I'm going to get a diagnosis one way or another because I don't have the belief still haven't got that relationship with myself where I can trust my own opinion yes and actually I think that's one of the things that's really helpful is that that now I'm able to say um 
you know, as we were saying, actually, we were saying before this about, you know, going to New York for work stuff and then saying, actually, do you know what, this afternoon or this evening, I'm just going to get a takeout and sit in the room and yeah. watch the Hallmark Channel because I don't have to do everything because I am actually going to be kind to myself and recognise these are my limitations. Yes. And, and that's why I think having a lot of people said, why do you, why did you want a diagnosis? But actually what it means is I'm able to say, I'm going to be nice to myself. I'm going to, yeah. you know, not force myself to do as I did for 40 years basically yes. force myself into a box to try and do all of these you know the things to be the kind of person that I was supposed to be supposed to it's yeah. not supposed to such it? a huge thing isn't and it? it's that we, as we said earlier like self-care it's not the bubble baths no kind of the, the popular Pinterest pins it's this sense of acknowledging the needs that you're already aware of but you're trying desperately to squash down like like whack-a-mole you're like yeah. they pop up and you yeah. push them back down and instead it's going okay when I go to London and I walk my feet bleed in my shoes because I've got parts I'm gonna get a cab yeah and maybe from the outside it sounds ridiculous like it's an easy decision to make but when it's yourself and when you've managed and when the possibility of forcing yourself exists it is so easy to neglect those and they are needs or for one of the things that I will say is I will not go to London very often for work stuff, but if I do go, I will book an extra night in yeah. the hotel the night after rather than travelling home that same day because if I do travel home the same day that I've done lots of stuff, I will go home, I will be so tired, yes. I won't be able to speak, and I will be completely useless for the rest of the week. So it actually achieves nothing. So actually if I stay in London, go to sleep, get up the next day and then travel when I'm less tired... I can then go home and I can carry on writing and I can... But I still need to have a couple of days of kind of staring in space after being in London. But. I do exactly the same thing. And I still have twinges of guilt. I yeah. still have like, oh, it's X amount for a night. Can yeah. I not just... Come, I'd, get, I'd get in at 11, but it'd be all right. Um, and actually, like, I'm very fortunate because I work with my husband. He is always the one that says, no, remember how it makes you feel. And he forces me to do it. And when you see it as like a business decision, I think it's That's easier. exactly it. That's how I try and see like, it is. You know. How it's going to affect output. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, the thing is, I think that's really interesting because, again, still we're making excuses to avoid actually being, you know, the self-care thing. Being kind to Being ourselves. kind to ourselves and actually recognising what we need. Yeah. And I think that's that's something that we find really difficult despite all the magazines talking about self-care and bubble baths and you know all of that stuff which isn't necessarily I mean actually to be honest I don't I like having baths but I don't find them particularly relaxing no it doesn't improve my it doesn't improve any of these things we're talking about for me maybe it does for someone else I guess um yeah for me it is more like you know making very intentional choices about before the damage is done almost like yes a bath's not going to fix it if I've overdone it no but choosing not to overdo it in the first place is going to be way more valuable exactly yeah so now that we've sorted out the world of self-care very very efficiently, efficiently yes um What's coming up for you now? Now, 2020, you've got your new 15-minute magic skills. I have. And and with them, I've set up my, or reactivated my newsletter, um, which is uh, something that I've been meaning to do for ages. And it's such a funny thing because I really enjoy it because um, I'm really aware of the fact that, you know, everybody's trying to avoid email. Mm-hmm. But actually, you know what, when you get an email from and it's like somebody's newsletter and it's sort of it's gossipy like. and it's got some pictures and it's a bit of behind the scenes and you've, you know, 
I really like them. So that's what I try and do. So um, that's that's next on it's my back. list is, is, is that's back. So, so people can sign up on your website? You can sign up my website, which is just rachellucas.com. There's a sign up there and that's going to be going out later this month. Yes, so. it is. Well, now you've told everyone it better have. It will have to go out. That's, that is exactly <laughs> why I ran the marathon because I told everybody that I was going to do it online and then I felt like I had to. So Sometimes a bit of human accountability. It really works for me, yes. We've been doing actually um, in the 15-minute magic group, we have the group chat so we set a time and people just come online and it's so simple we just literally say at the beginning to each other I'm gonna do this and then come back at the end of the hour and go I have done this yeah but it's such a funny thing (laughs) isn't it because it really really works I don't know why but it's sure I don't know I think it's I think it's for me it's the Labrador in me because I'm a bit of a people pleaser pleaser, you know at least we're weaponizing exactly (laughs) that's exactly what I like to think of it as you know what I'm gonna take this and I'm gonna do something useful with it so uh what else is coming up well, um, I'm working on my next book, my next Rosie Curtis book. So hang on, explain the Rosie Curtis. So I, I really, the Rosie Curtis books are set, um, the first one is set in London, the next one's set in New York. Um, and they're, they're published by Avon. So my Rachel Lucas books are published by Pam McMillan. Um, and it was just a way of writing they're slightly younger and a bit more sort of fast-paced and a bit more sort of romantic comedy-ish. I really kind of wanted to write a sort of a Hallmark Christmas movie stroke Love Bridget it. Jones type thing. So it's kind of that. Um, so I'm writing my next Rosie Curtis book. Is there a contractual reason that you have different names with a different publisher? Yes, I don't really understand what it is, but I think it's something to do with you can't be published by in the same sort of genre or, you know, similar books in the same genre. So, but it works really well for me because I've always wanted a pseudonym that makes me feel like a proper writer. (laughs) And at the moment, I'm actually, as we speak, I'm actually running a writing retreat. And that's something I'm going to be doing again later this year um, where I um, am because I used to be a chef. So all another, these jobs you know oh so many jobs <laughs> typical writer I've got like loads and loads of jobs that I've done in the past to avoid writing um <laughs> so yeah um I I sort of hire somewhere and people come along and they write and I cook and it's really lovely and relaxed and and everybody gets loads done well um, human accountability they're right there with absolutely you. well it works so well because what happens then is everybody sits down at the dinner table and everyone says oh how did you get on and nobody wants to say Oh, well, actually, I, I just know, went on Twitter for four hours. I just went on Twitter hours. for four hours. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, which is kind of what happens at home. Yeah. It so can. It can easily happen. Well, I was saying to you, I'm planning later this year a working retreat along yes. the lines. Yeah, and hopefully we, we do that. Yes. Collaborate. Yes, there that's, I, that sounds quite exciting. I think so. Um, Between us, we'll get people writing, working. Like, because you can achieve so much in two or three days oh, if absolutely. it's all you're doing. When I went on my last writing retreat with friends, I wrote 27,000 words in four days. And how many words are in a whole book? Um, well, mine are about sort of between 80,000 and yeah, so 100,000. a chunk of the book. Oh, done. yeah. yeah. I think like, that would be a non-fiction book, finished. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, so, I mean, you can do it if you're actually just sitting down, and especially if you're on a retreat where you're being fed, so you don't have to think yes. about no responsibilities, no, do I need to walk the dog or no take kids children. interrupting? Nobody knocking at the door to say, "Can I take in a parcel for next door?" <laughs> you know, all these different things. And it's really funny actually because somebody said, "Oh, is it always parents who come on your retreat?" And I said, "No, no, not at all. Mm. Actually, it's it's quite often people who find it really difficult to just get work done at home for whatever reason, whether it's the house being done up or just 
you know, the stuff we put in our own way. Well, because really what stops us from doing it, whatever it is when it comes down to it, is our own brain. Absolutely. We think it's the circumstances. We think it's the kids or the, the washing up. But it's how our brain is functioning with all of those thoughts whirling around and exactly. removing yourself from a lot of that and taking your brain to somewhere fresh yeah can have um, a profound effect. i think it can have a huge effect yeah we're going to give away a copy of the book we are so we have we have a signed copy of the telephone box library and a plan <laughs> we do have a plan we have a plan so if you would like to win this beautiful copy of rachel's book you need to head to her instagram which is at rachel lucas yes Rachel with a A-E-L at the end and obviously it will be in the show notes and comment on her post that's going to go up today as this podcast goes out you'll have a week from the day this podcast goes out so if you would like to enter just leave her a comment follow her account by the 3rd of February 2020 and Rachel will pick somebody and we will send this book off to you. And in fact, I'm going to put a copy of my book in as well. Oh, that's a great a idea. That would be really so lovely. So both of our it's books. So, such a good book. Well, and I'm not just saying that because it's you. I'm just saying it because <laughs> I love it. Yes, I will sign a copy and stick that in as well. Excellent. So anywhere in the world, wherever you are, we will get it to you unless... I think there's like giveaway restrictions with certain countries. So if lawyers from those countries are listening, definitely not there. Yeah, we were never going to send it there. Sure. (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) Rachel, where can people find you? They can find me on my website, which is rachellucas.com. You can find me on Twitter, which um, for a very... Strange reasons, basically because I've been on Twitter since the dark ages. You can find me at Caramina. Um, But basically, if you search Rachel Lucas on Twitter, you'll find me. Um, You can find me on Instagram, uh, Pinterest, I'm Rachel Lucas. Um, And in all good bookstores. And obviously in all good bookstores. And at the moment, the Telephone Box Library is available in all of the supermarkets as well. So, you know, if you could all rush off and buy a copy. Several copies. Several copies. everyone you know. That would be wonderful. (laughs) Rachel, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you. Show notes for this episode are at meandorla.co.uk forward slash podcast 85. And I will stick the details for the giveaway in there too. Once Rachel's post is up, I'll link to it there for anyone who's struggling to find it. And we'll pick the winner and then DM that person on Instagram. So just keep an eye on your inbox. Also in the show notes, you will find details of my Insta retreat class that I mentioned at the beginning. And if you want to join me and Kelsey and Maria from last week, and in fact, I think Rachel's in there too. If you want to join all of us, what are you even waiting for? Head on over and grab yourself a place. I hope you all have the most awesome week and I will see you next time.